Excuse me, please. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Jesus told the very brief parables of the lost coin and lost sheep to explain what he was doing in eating with tax collectors and sinners. These tax collectors and sinners that were referred to that way in the, in the, in the uh, New Testament are essentially non-observant Jews, that is, uh, Jewish people who are not living according to the Torah as defined by the leadership, and therefore they'd be excluded from the synagogue and from the temple <clears throat> and from functional participation in Jewish life. So Jesus is eating with them, trying to draw them back in, out of their exile, into the fellowship of God's people. Jesus isn't saying in eating with them that uh, you know, what they're doing is fine. That would be the opposite error of the Pharisees. The Pharisees would say, don't touch anything unclean. And it would be equal and opposite to say, nothing is unclean. There's nothing that, that needs to happen in people's lives to follow God. What Jesus is aiming at is discipleship and transformation. Reaching out, connecting with people, asking them to follow him. And as they followed him, their lives would change. And the example of this for us is St. Matthew, our patron saint, who was a tax collector. And our statue symbolizes his change at his feet are the coins that he has given up in his tax business. He's taken up to write the gospel. So it's a transformation of St. Matthew from sinner into saint, which is emblematic of how Jesus calls us all. But there's something larger happening also in the gospel narrative where Jesus uh, eats and drinks with uh, tax collectors, sinners, and even has interaction with the Gentiles. Jesus is reconfiguring and redefining the people of God. The Pharisees and scribes who were criticizing him would have considered those among the people of God or the, the people of God to be those who were zealous to observe the Torah, the law of Moses, as such observance was defined by the tradition that had developed in the four or five hundred years between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. If you were zealous to observe the Torah according to the tradition with the kosher rules and all the things that told you how to eat Sabbath and what you couldn't, you were defined as righteous. And if you didn't do that, you were non-observant, you were unrighteous, you were, you were outside. Jesus is the Word made flesh. We could translate that as the Torah made flesh. And as the Torah made flesh, his presence immediately and necessarily redefines God's people. If righteousness is, righteousness is defined by your following the Torah, and the Torah is standing in front of you, and you're following immediately the people around, putting their faith in and following Jesus, are the new people of God. And part of the transformation we see in the Gospel stories, Jesus eating and drinking with tax collectors, all these sinners are eating with him, gathering around him, and as much as they put their faith in him and begin to believe in him, this is the new people of God. And as much as the Pharisees who saw themselves as righteous reject him, they are rejecting the Torah, and now they find themselves on the outside. And this is, I think, what 
irritated them. This leads to a, this, this redefinition is a seismic change in God's revelation. This is the, what the New Testament is. It is the redefinition of the people of God around the person of Jesus. Twelve apostles replacing the twelve tribes. And those who put their faith in Jesus becoming righteous in fulfillment of those who previously had observed the Torah. And this is why the person of Jesus occupies the central place in the church, occupies essentially the place that the Torah occupies in the, in the synagogue. But this is also a critique by Jesus of the lines of demarcation that the religious leadership had developed. They saw themselves as righteous because they observed the Torah according to their tradition and saw the others as unrighteous because they didn't. But Jesus by his teaching highlighted the fact that this was not true, that the Pharisees were sinning every bit as much as were the tax collectors and sinners. He spends a whole chapter, Matthew 22-23, saying, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And the essential uh, nature of the critique is, outwardly you appear religious, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So, Jesus rejected the idea that there was a group of righteous who had it in with God and a group of unrighteous who didn't. All had sinned and fall short of the glory of God. <clears throat> the Pharisees are kind of an easy target in the New Testament. They get criticized a lot. And if we're going to um, learn from them as we ought, we ought to realize that we are all, at times, become Pharisees. After all, we are the religious people. We're the people in church. So there were two essential errors of the Pharisees that, we, that, that Jesus opposed strongly. First, the idea that, that they were righteous and others were sinners. And secondarily, of equal importance, because they were righteous and others were sinners, the others were to be excluded and that therefore their religion was a way of, of keeping, having this thing for themselves and setting themselves, over, setting themselves off over against those who are on the outside. So anytime we develop a practice of the faith where it allows us to feel good about ourselves while criticizing others for their sins, or to put it another way, to ignore certain sins we don't want to see within ourselves and harshly criticize sins we see outside, we become pharisaical. For example, and this, is, this was an essence of Jesus' critique of the Pharisees. Certain sins like covetousness and envy are more subtle. You can't see them as, 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 as readily. Greed. If we're guilty of greed, of, of a desire for things and, and, a, and a love of money, we're tempted by that. That is every bit as sinful as is more visible things like lust and gluttony. What the Pharisees typically did is they would criticize the more visible things they saw in the sinners, but they were ignoring in themselves these subtle, what we call spiritual sins, pride, envy, covetousness. So if we are guilty of 
covetousness, of greed, of love of money, of possessiveness. We don't have any platform to point our finger at someone else and say, you're, you're, you're doing the wrong thing out there. The point of our religion, therefore, is it's a religion of transformation. And it begins with the understanding that we're all sinners. Dorothy Sayers once had an essay called The Other Deadly Sins. And she talked about that everyone was focuses on gluttony and lust, but there are five others. Pride, envy, covetousness, sloth, anger. These are more subtle. We're all guilty of, of these. Certain of them, each of us is guilty of more. Those are our besetting temptations, we should, we should say. But we're here because we acknowledge together that we're guilty of sin. And we've come to Christ to experience the forgiveness of our sins and God's grace in our lives. And as we experience that grace, that's something we want to share with others. And that humility born of the awareness of our sin leads to mission. Because as we experience God's grace for what's amiss in our lives, our own wounds, our own sins, the natural impulse when we experience this free gift of grace is to say, let's invite some others to the party. Self-righteousness works in the other direction. It says, we have this thing. We're, we're the righteous and you are bad. And we draw, draw sort of gates to keep people out of the fellowship. Our religion is a religion of transformation. We believe Jesus calls us to follow him. And as we follow him, the Holy Spirit Jesus has given us begins to reveal to each of us what's wrong in our lives. And this happens continually over our, over. We reach a new season of life and, and God decides it's time for us to see something new. As we persevere in this life of prayer and grace, that's our role in this. God gives us the grace we need to change and grow. Our role is to persevere continue to follow, to continue to come and receive the sacrament, to continue the life of prayer, continue to read the scriptures, continue to be part of the people of God and receive the gifts and encouragement we need from others. We continue in that over time. We are changed. We experience this often over, one of the problems in our culture, I think, is sometimes this change is, is, is proclaimed as over instantaneous. You believe in Jesus and it's all better. You follow Jesus, and we do this as disciples for a year, five years, ten years. And as we continue to follow, we see ourselves in a different place. We experience the reality of wounds being healed, of sins not only being forgiven, but as we work through and practice our spiritual disciplines, we find new strength to resist those temptations we experience the grace of God. And that's our witness to someone who's outside. It's come and join us in this pathway. Come and be a part of, of what's happening here in the church. That's the essential critique of the Pharisees. They were self-righteous and they kept others out. And genuine faith is born of a humility that recognizes that Jesus, I see that person's sin, so I have my own sin. 
And as I experience my own sin, rather than condemning that sin, I want to reach out to that person to help you here. Come, come experience grace from God as well. So the gospel tells us that there's joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. And if we're going to share that joy with others, we have to remember that that repentance has to begin within each one of us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.